0: Welcome to the Code of Fire podcast. Code of Fire is a podcast about emerging trends and technologies with the aim to create bite-sized entertaining content for everyone from software developers to sales gurus to even your parents so that they can stay clued in and techno-savvy in today's ever-changing world. And the voice you are hearing right now is that of me, Steve Jagger. This is episode three of Code of Fire, all about demystifying I-O-T, and if you're not sure what that acronym means, I'm not sure what that acronym means to be frank, it means the internet of things, and I have to admit, when I first heard the term IOT, I had no idea what it was and what it meant, obviously it was made clear to me when I heard what it stood for, the internet of things, oh that, yes, the internet, got it, of, no problem. Things Nope, you lost me. I mean how long how long did it take and who came up with that catchphrase? Or acronym and why on earth did it stick? I mean internet of stuff? That's about as clear. Of course you can't have iOS, can you Apple would be breathing down our necks. Internet of devices? That would be much clearer. I'm not sure what stopped us there. There's an institute of directors perhaps, those business savvy guys, they play hardball with being top dog on the Google search. So, yeah, no go there. Here we are now with with IoT. We'll do we'll do our best with that. I probably should mention that some people do call it the internet of everything, IOE i don't know who those people are if you if you look it up on the internet sometimes there is an ioe that means the same thing nobody says ioe let me make that clear so regardless of how we got here iot is the buzzword the acronym the tla phrase uh which apparently only through attrition of use is starting to become somewhat understood if i defer to wikipedia and uh we should give that guy some money you know you know when you go to wikipedia and it says hey give this guy money you do give it give him some money you probably use wikipedia at least once a week and it's free and there's hardly like is there any adverts anyway give him some money so wikipedia defines iot as the internet of things is the network of physical devices vehicles home appliances and other items embedded with electronics software sensors actuators, and network connectivity, which enable these objects to connect and exchange data. I guess it's really that network connectivity bit that is the critical new element that makes all of this IoT. I mean, we've had physical devices, naturally, we've had physical devices, vehicles, home appliances, Items embedded with electronics and software and actuators. We've had all that. And of course, the machine that goes ping for a while now in the form of TVs, toasters, baby monitors, lawnmowers, ovens, heart monitors, teddy bears. Yes, teddy bears. I'm thinking of that. Remember that scary old Teddy Teddy Ruxpin thing from the 80s? That thing still haunts me in my nightmares. Anyway, yes, we've had all sorts of odd electronic devices, but now they are connected. I suppose why is the real question. At some point, some bright spark in the world of technical things decided a strong USP would be to connect this stuff to the internet so that we can, what, I don't know, communicate, control, watch it, any manner of things that you wouldn't normally naturally feel you needed to do to it. Uh, It seems like at that point, the product development team were largely using the mandate of this would be awesome, uh, which was also the mandate of Skynet when they made the first self-aware cyborg that went back in time to destroy us all. Now, I recently compared the current high growth speed of the IoT industry to the street I live on. Now that probably seems abstract, but I'll explain. I live on a residential farm road, which is really only a few hundred meters from a much more urban populated part of the city. Now, as a result, the city has changed the speed limit just over there from 30 miles per hour to the symbol for the national speed limit. Anybody non-UK listening would would not know what that meant, but that means about 60 to 70 miles per hour, depending if you know your rules of the road. Most motorists don't. So motorists in the UK, at least, take that to mean as fast as humanly possible. And that tends to mean with reckless abandon. And that's kind of how fast we're growing. Uh, And and actually, there have been some real, actual game-changing advantages to what these new connected devices can accomplish and, and will accomplish going forward. Take the medical industry as just one example. I mean, gone are the days of cumbersome insulin pumps, And here are the days of a connected device automating blood glucose, insulin administration, uh, remote real-time monitoring for both patients and physicians. I mean, that's just the start. Internet-connected video baby monitors are now allowing parents to head out and paint the town red, leaving their young children alone, home, safe in the knowledge that if there's a decent signal, they can check in straight from the dance floor, along with everybody else. And there is our first example of how it can backfire. I'm talking about people snooping in on your children, not the party arty parents. So I'll now dive into why IoT is as big a problem as it is actually a pretty amazing concept. I mean, from the fridge that orders you more milk when you're running low to the aforementioned party enabling baby monitor, to the connected automobile that can provide you with real-time traffic updates, control, service, and times of trouble, to the connected oven that for some inexplicable reason, needs to be at 200 degrees the moment you get in the door. Because you need those chicken wings in 30 minutes and not a minute longer. And you can't figure that oven. No, but who can figure out the old oven timers out? You get two buttons. Uh, anyway, too complicated. Connectivity is part of our lives. And with great connectivity comes great responsibility. So here's the kicker. Most of the software used to create the devices that make up the Internet of Things uses open source software. For the non-geeks listening, that is essentially software whose source code is a product of open collaboration and is part of a publicly available software project. Essentially, it's non-commercial software made by geeks sharing with geeks. I'm one of those geeks. You might be thinking now, why? Why Why are people doing work for free? Giving software away. Frankly, it's an amazing thing. Let's not question it too hard for this podcast. It's really good. We'll do that later. It's sufficient to say that there's a huge amount of open source projects which actually power 80 to 90% of the devices that make up the Internet of Things. Does that shock, if not scare you? It should. A little. Now, for the developers... There is an almost immeasurable advantage to open source software in that it speeds up time to market. It offers crowdsourced and crowd-funded testing and reliability by design, and it's often subject to extreme critical thinking before an open source project becomes something the community at large deems good enough for use by the software development world at large. So those are some of the good things about IoT and its use of open source. The bad thing, essentially. It comes down to security. I mean, you want your oven to cook your chicken wings and not your home. You would like your child to be monitored by its parents and or you and not anyone else, frankly. And that insulin pump needs to be controlled and monitored by those responsible for the person's health and not by random people on the Internet. Additionally, you would like your home full of smart light bulbs to just emit light when required and not collaborate with other light bulbs in a hive-minded denial of service attack against a key corporate target. We need to be careful. That's the message. Hi, my name is Teddy Ruxpin. Can you and I be friends? Yeah. I really enjoy talking to people. I would like you. Teddy Ruxpin was super creepy. Yeah, uh, comes with illustrated book and cassette from Worlds of Wonder. That was the original advert for the scary Teddy Ruxpin back in the 80s. It still creeps me out. And there's a 2017 version of that that is Bluetooth compatible. Yay. Now the internet can mess up your kids as much as that bear did. All right. So this is the intermission. We have a website. It's codifier.com. I recommend you go there because all of these different podcasts are written out and there's often a lot of extra content there like links to some of the sources that we use for the for the content as well as a very fun video at the end of this particular one that i'll mention at the end of the podcast our twitter handle is codifier and our facebook url is facebook.com codifier check it out Okay, just before that little intermission, I mentioned a few different ways that IoT could turn on us, Uh, one of them being the hive-minded light bulbs to the potentially poorly monitored uh, child. Uh, Another simple example, a real-world example, would be a smart teddy bear, which was uh, something released by a company called Cloud Pets. Uh, Their cloud-based storage that this teddy bear was connected to was hacked into, releasing 2 million, yes, 2 million, parents' and kids' voice messages. I'm not sure what the motivation was to hack into that. Uh, Along the same lines, an IoT Barbie doll allowed hackers to intercept conversations between your child and the Barbie. I don't understand how that thing works, but that's a weird one. Um, uh, And the example I was referring to with the light bulbs was a recent 2016 automated bit of very complex malware which targeted vulnerable IoT devices and allowed them to collaborate via a command and control center Go listen to my Ransomware podcast to get more about that. For malicious purposes, in this case, they used the acquired massive network they'd created to fire distributed internet traffic at selected targets with the idea of shutting those targets down. It was smart enough even to avoid infecting devices that it knew might be security or government-related. Pretty clever. So you might think that companies who are going to be using open source for their products would be really good at making sure they didn't use stuff that could leave them vulnerable to these sorts of attacks, right? Yeah. So it's pretty clear that these devices, they're pretty cool. They broaden our lives. They offer conveniences never before dreamed of, but the companies creating them. And to a significant extent, the software developers that work within them, they're not incentivized by ensuring the products are secure, but more by time to market feature richness. Features and novelty, they result in sales. That's a direct return Whereas security is often looked at the way we treat, you know, security. Uh, It'll never happen to us. How many of us have alarms on our houses? Sometimes we don't even lock doors. It's rare. We often take risks without consideration for what might happen. I think it's worth saying right now that creating a secure IoT device is not easy. I mean, I'll get geeky on this for a moment. I mean, these devices are using a ton of open source software that may or may not be vulnerable to attack, and it's often difficult to determine which ones are safe. The devices themselves have a very large attack surface because they often use technologies like NFC, which is near field communications, uh, Bluetooth, or Wi-Fi to communicate. They very often use some form of cloud service for storing data or data exchange. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll probably do a podcast in the cloud soon, and. Keeping any and all of these different facets of technology impervious to attackers is not only difficult, but it's bordering on impossible. One of the main reasons I've already mentioned is that product developers are not yet security incentivized. And what makes it also difficult is that even if you do all the right things and you you check all of your open source, you've got the right hardware and you put it all together in what appears to be a secure manner, That security doesn't last long. In three months or six or 12, new developments happen, new vulnerabilities are found. I mean, a study showed once that a smart TV that was released just three years ago, which at the time looked secure, zero vulnerabilities, zero ways to compromise it, in only three years can have as many as 1,000 possible new vulnerabilities. That's just a few years later if that TV is not left patched and updated. Now you might be thinking, that's crazy. How can how can something just become vulnerable? Now I'll, I'll try to explain that. I mean, if you can imagine anything that is developed on the cutting edge always looks okay at the time, right? I mean give a real retro example. let's look at smoking right That was marketed as a cure at one point because they didn't know how bad it really was. It's a bit abstract, but the same goes for software. A complex programmatic solution. It's designed primarily to solve a problem. It's very difficult to conceive of every possible abuse case for those intentionally misusing the technology. Like try combining that technology with other fresh hardware and other software technologies into a complex system and you have an almost infinitely compromisable creation. It's just that we don't know how to do it yet. What inevitably happens with all the technologies is that your your bad guy hackers, they start straight away trying to figure out all the cracks in the armor and when they do, they take advantage of it i mean the good guys try and keep up to date first by finding problems or bugs as we call them and patching their products but quite often unfortunately the bad guys find the issues first presto we have headline news i mean you may have heard a few years back about smart car technology in a jeep which was hacked uh those were that was done by researchers not by bad guys and the hack allowed them a certain amount of remote control over the vehicle it's kind of scary when you think about the upcoming self-driving cars now, that was a product of years of research, not your typical Hollywood 10 second hack that I recently saw in one of those Fast and Furious uh, movies. But nevertheless, it was possible using a complex series of minor cascading vulnerabilities in the car's infotainment and control system. Now that was, that was quite advanced, but possible. So why do we keep churning out these IoT devices? And why do customers keep gobbling them up? Well, the latter statement justifies the former, doesn't it? If we buy it, companies will make it. Money is the motivation to the companies and novelty and frankly, sometimes straight up laziness can be the motivation for us, us humans. We're not as smart as we like to think we are sometimes. Ah, but that can be fixed, can't it? With technology. The big trend is that many of these devices are now called smart devices. The smart toaster, the smart TV, the smart monitor, the smart watch, smart is the official word Marketing people use to mean this thing is connected to the internet. So by buying it, you're smart. (laughs) Ha ha. Boom. Welcome to IT. Smart as a marketing tool or a phrase has been around for quite some time. I mean, smart marketing is actually a thing. The smart workplace is that bull office space ideal where you only have hot desks, but everybody sits in the same place every time anyway, kind of like a high school cafeteria, Obviously, reverting back to what would have been the stupid workplace, I guess. Uh, There's smart goals for measuring performance. I could go on and on. The point being, you want people to feel smart, so you call your thing smart, and people will immediately dive into the sea of irony and use it or try it with maximum unquestioning stupidity. So we're not going to stop buying IoT devices. That's pretty clear. So if you do decide to be an early adopter and go full iot with your smart fridge and your smart monitors and your smart house and your smart vacuum then the advice from me would be to find out if the devices can update themselves and how easy that is you need to ensure that it's always patched it's always got the most current software because as i said there are people trying to find vulnerabilities and the older they get the more vulnerable they become and trust me the companies that make these are trying to make sure that they don't end up in the headlines. So there always will be ways to update your, your products. So much like what I said about ransomware in the previous podcast, keep everything up to date, even if it's a bit of a pain, I know this is a pain because my smart TV is always bugging me to update it. And it always does it just before the show I want to watch and it takes 15 minutes, so I say no, and then I forget to update it. I'm kidding. Of course I update my stuff. I'm a security professional. I've got to, don't I? So let's go full IoT smartness now. And I'll end this with a few examples of how we can get involved. And I'm going to take this list of things you must have to be IoT fully iot And it's from Gizmodo's top 15 IoT items. And I'm just going to focus on a top five or six. But I'm going to reverse the order that they listed it in because I think they got it wrong. So here's my top five IoT must-haves for 2017. Are you ready? Here we go. At number five, the tracks Fitbit type thingy for your dog. I guess we need to know all of those stats. You can even record what he eats, when he walks, how he wags. It's all there for your dog. The tracks at number four, the hydrate spark. It's a glowing smart water bottle that tells you when you're thirsty because you don't know. You don't know. And it's good, I guess, until you leave it at the jammer by the side of a field by accident. Maybe they'll put a locator in the V2 version. That'll be properly vulnerable. Okay. Number three, the Kiratazi Hair Coach. Do you look like a Kardashian? No, of course you don't, because you don't have this hairbrush. It's a powerful, sensor-ridden, electronic-laden hairbrush that talks to your hair and tells you how to brush it to make it more luxurious. Is your hair an idiot? You need the smart brush. Get it. Number two, the smart egg minder. (laughs) It goes in your fridge, so you can tell from 3,000 miles away. Do you have enough eggs when you get home? Are they still edible? Yum, smart egg minder. And now, tied for number one, it's a joint prize. I couldn't decide, and they're both pretty awesome. So, joint prize number one, the vibe. Yes, together we can monitor the successes and failures of women and men, who are enjoying the incalculable, and now very calculable, benefits of a smart dildo. Wi-Fi up your body cavities with this essential technology. And last, but certainly not least, the Icon. I like the name, it already sounds super tech. It's probably not what you think it is. Never has a bedroom argument been more one-sided than one backed by technological big data. It's a smart conum that I can only assume... Gives you feedback on your stellar performance by measuring thrust, speed, frequency, calories burned. And hey, guess what? There is a community that you can join to compare notes. You can buy yours at British Condoms. This one is British, so there's something that Brexiters can latch onto and be proud. Well, that's it. This has been Episode 3 Codifier, uh, all about IoT or the Internet of Things. Thanks for listening. I'm still Steve Jaguar. This podcast has sort of not been sponsored by SmartPipe. Flush with power, turning your big dump into big data.